beds at night Call her small boy or girl Brown, pink or black or white And welcome back to Barn Banter The podcast for children's musicians Like you From a children's musician Like me But actually, I'm actually going to start to change that up I'm going to change this, this introduction on the fly Welcome to Barn Banter A podcast for kids musicians by a kids musician. <laughs> I'm trying to change my language on that. Well, I had a really cool conversation with Robert Drake about the difference between children's music and kids music. And I'm just, I'm going to go with the flow and become a kids music artist, kids rock artist. I cover kid, I cover kid rock. That's all I do. There you go. No. It's, it's so funny. My whole thing is like children are not goats. They're not kids. <laughs> oh, Really? Oh, I yeah. love it. That's a different perspective right there. Totally. Oh, so since I have you on the line, I think that we should maybe talk about the fact that there are children and there are kids and there are musicians who perform for them just like you, just like you, who are my guest today, yeah. calling in all the way from Mile High City, Denver, Colorado. It's our new friend, Catherine Dines. How are you today? Oh, Andy, I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing quite well. I'm having good. a pretty good time. I liked that intro. That was a totally different intro. I, do, I usually try and keep them very, you know, conformed. But I, I, I think I'm going to loosen it up a bit from now on. Oh, yeah, do it. It's much better. <laughs> More fun for the list. It's kind of a radio lab thing, you know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, Nick Danger, Third Eye kind of going on. So, there you go. So, Catherine, you uh, perform in Denver. And like me, you're in the Rocky Mountains. You're one of the few, you're like one of the few uh, performers for f kids and family and children's that I could find in, well, that's not totally true. There are a few more in there. But in the Denver area, there, there aren't that many children's performers who are recording and releasing material, are there? Well, I, you know, Andy, I've been all over and I, I'm located in Denver, but I tour all the time. So, but you're right. Nobody that I, very few people are in, in the Denver Rocky Mountain region. And it's, um, I don't, I've never been able to figure it out. I think part of it is that it's just, it's like a mountain place, kind of like where you are, where everybody's out and about and being very outside active. That's kind of what my thought is about it, but you're right. I feel like I'm, I'm in a desert. <laughs> <laughs> it's odd because there's Portland, which is really not that far away from Denver. Right? And it has a huge scene. Seattle is just a, a short airport yeah. 77 flight away with uh, Karen Black and you could be in, uh, in Seattle. And do you get that reference? Because that's like airport, the movie. Oh no. Yeah. It was airport. The, the flight yeah, from airport. Seattle to Denver. That was, that was right. my first experience with Denver. And really? they've got tons of, tons of musicians doing the thing out there. But, um, yeah, yeah, Denver's interesting. It is. It is, it is. And, you know, country is good here. You should come do a country thing at the stock show. That's oh, pretty big. That would be fun. Yeah, we don't, you, you know, I should, I and I go by Cowboy Andy, but we don't do hardly, we do like Ghost Riders in the Sky. We don't do a ton of hardcore country stuff. Really? Huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe you better change your name too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my God. I went through a, a rebranding this last year and it was impossible. I know. Uh, speaking of branding, I, I, I probably am not going to get this right out of the gate. Hunkta Bunkta. Oh yeah. Was that, that it? Is, oh, that is so good. And yes, that is a brand. And it. I'm so thankful that I developed that early on as a brand because 
I don't know if you know this. I won a lawsuit against Toys R Us. <gasps> and it was pretty major. I was like, wowie, zowie, they stole my name. They stole Hunkta Bunkta. And the most interesting part about the whole thing is that we had to hire an expert witness who could who had to prove that they couldn't have gotten hunktabunkta from a simple drop-down menu on the computer. Because that's what they kept saying. This was like, oh, it was just a mishap. It was just a mistake, uh, you know, and, and it was just wrong. <laughs> so it was fascinating to me. And it's a word that I learned from my great, great, it's come down for like six generations. What? What is it? What is it? It's just like a, a field holler. It's a call. And the whole word is... Kick to bilky to hunk to bunk to boo So did you hear the hunk to bunk in there? Yes. What animal are you calling? I'm calling a person. Now I don't know what they were calling six generations ago. It could have oh. been pigs or god dinosaurs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so but, it's like um, a is it like a family call? So that so like well, say you're living in a holler and there's like six cabins and one of them calls ooga booga booga back 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 hey and that's yes. like oh it's my turn to go home but then in your family they would call can you do it again for us the whole thing sure kick to billicky alaka locks to hunk to bunk to boo yeah see it's that thing at the end that that's what really brings it home. That's when it, you know, like, oh crap, that's my mom. Oh, I forgot to feed the chickens, you know, exactly. and like, go running home, right? <laughs> but you know what's so funny? I had I've played this in a lot of places, and I was I think I was in Alaska, and this woman came up to me, and she said it was, um, it was an Eskimo word, and she had named a rabbit or called her rabbit part of that same word. It was a little bit the same kind of rhythm and inflection, but a few different words. So who knows? I've been I've been trying to track it down for years. Hmm. That's really so you, cool. But you took that, you took just the snippet of that, the heart of it really, of that yeah, call. And you made the heart it, of it and you turned it into the brand for your music label. Is that Yeah, it was the first it was the first song I ever wrote uh for Chill kids, so I say, kid chits or could chill, chill kids, kajillions, <laughs> little ones. I don't know. Uh, families. I've, it's first uh, one. I, I I prefer family audiences. Okay. So, um, yeah, and and I was living in Nashville, and I was literally had just written these this song called "Hunk to Bunk to" and come out with this album, and it was only being distributed in Nashville. And this, I was getting my hair cut, and this woman said, have you heard this hunk to bunk to music or something like that? And I went, wow, that's memorable. Mm. So I just kept it. You're like, no, do tell. Who's this hunk yeah. to bunk to music? And are they awesome? And are you buying anything? Yeah, she did. It was really fun. <laughs> All it right like, on. Yeah, it was great. Okay, so, so uh, you've been everywhere, man. You've been to Tennessee and Alaska. Where in Alaska were you? Oh, all over. I've been around. I've gone to four global tours with the Department of Defense all <gasps> right. over the world. And oh, that, cool. those were really fabulous. I did two solos. One was the Mediterranean, which was Sicily, Spain, Italy, Sardinia, the Azores, and Turkey. 
and that was six weeks. And then I did one in Northern Europe, which was England, Belgium, uh, the Netherlands. Uh, gosh, it's been a while. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then I did one with my band, the Pacific Rim, which was really fun. And that was um, Japan and Okinawa, Kwajalein, um, Singapore, Hawaii, Denver. It was it was a lot. It was great too. So were these USO tours? Um, kind of. There's a different tour. USO is like uh, cheer- cheerleaders and famous people, mm-hmm. like super famous, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the DOD is the Department of Defense, and they it these were mostly for Military Child Month. So that's usually the month of April and uh they had never done any kids stuff before and I got this call and I said, "Yeah, I'm there. I'm in. Let's do it." And it was so fun. So they invited me back the next year and then they skipped a year and invited the band back. So I, I guess it was three tours and then I did one solo. The funniest thing happened to me in one of those tours. Um I got booked um at this one base. I can't remember where it was. Somewhere in Japan. And I got to the place, and it was a bar. And they misbilled me as a um, hip-hop artist. (laughs) So (laughs) I go in with my kids' stuff, and I ended up having the best time playing to these GIs because we just did kids' music, and that's what they needed. They didn't really need a loud rock band necessarily or hip-hop artist. They just wanted some, I think, someone to talk to from the U.S., really. Mm -hmm. We had a ball. Oh, that's perfect. That's really neat. All right. So one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you, there were many reasons I, that you and I could have a conversation because you are, uh, you're a very established professional. You're obviously, even this brief conversation that we just had was a total surprise and a tangent, but it does <laughs> sort of open up the, uh, the, uh, the shoebox uh, of your resume, of all of the wonderful things that you've done performing for children and families and kids and uh, and everyone in this genre. And so there were many things and many, many petals on your flower that we could do, <laughs> we, that we could be looking at. But what I, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, because I know that you're heavily involved with the Children's Music Network. You're, I think you're an advisory board chairperson. Is that right? I, you, I am. Good, good thinking. Good memory. Sure, sure. And... Your your focus is often more on the on as well as world tours with the DOD, more intimate settings, smaller settings. And one of the things that I'm not very familiar with are library gigs, and and playing in that sort of a setting, that sort of a venue. And there there seems to be a lot of different aspects to it. There's a business aspect of it. There's the crowd control. There's the general expectations. And then on the other side, all the things as a performer, like what do you get out of it? How do you how do you feel satisfied doing it? How does it how does it help your career or you know things like that? So I was hoping that we could talk a little bit about libraries today. Sure, sure. Um, I love intimate settings. I think my favorite settings are like yours, bigger ones. But I love, love, love smaller venues. Um, you're right. There's an intimacy there that you don't really you can't really get in other ways. Um, you're pretty much, you know, on a bigger stage then you're off and you don't really have an opportunity to get down right with the audience. And I do enjoy that. Um, so where do you want to start? Do you want to start about how those came up or how they came 
about or sure well see part of it is is just in general i'm completely ignorant to a lot of it because we have one main library in missoula where i live population 60,000 salute but in other <laughs> communities like i don't know denver they have big branches many libraries maybe i should switch that around big libraries many branches so is that right yeah and I find the whole library audience. Let's let's just look at a, a big general scheme of things. Um, one of the things that's great about libraries is they're true community builders, and because that's what I think we do with our music, we build community. It's a nice tie into that. Um, they often have budgets, and they often don't have very big budgets. And they're always reaching out and trying to find different ways of enticing their patrons to come. And so most of them do these free library shows for patrons, which in a way is kind of counterproductive to what we do, Andy, because we want to get paid fairly for our work and their budgets are usually pretty limited. So if you don't mind a one-off and a show for 45 minutes that connects with maybe their theme. Now, a lot of them have a summer theme uh, in terms of summer reading. Summer reading is really big, especially in rural areas where kids don't really have a lot of options. You know, they're let's say their parents are farmers or um, they're both working. Kids really don't have a lot of options in more in the more um, sparsely populated areas. So I really enjoy going to those areas because you are, you walk on water. You are really, people love what you do. And that's been my experience. I mean, I'm not saying they all love me, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I Well, you love did them. say you walk on water. So you're, uh, no, you're no, clearly no, stretching it here. <laughs> you and the Beatles, you know, there you go. <laughs> but What's really great about it is that it's a literary group, so generally they're reading books. And B, my work is pretty lyrical, and so I really, they listen. They, they all go to story time. What I've noticed about libraries is the, the attendees have dropped in age, and now it's really babies through maybe seven-year-olds, maybe eight-year-olds. Mm. And in a rural community, you'll get older kids because they all are just dying for stuff to do. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed that really the, the listener audience has gone down in age. And I don't mind it because I've got, you know, CDs for babies, CDs for toddlers, CDs for school age, CDs for families. So I like the, the challenge of coming up with a set that works for different age groups. Um, that's important, I think. And it is pretty mixed. I mean, you never really know what you're going to go, what you're getting into as far as the age group. I think that maybe some of the librarians who organize that, if it's a regular event, they, they might be able to clue you in to say, oh, look, we've got, you know, this age group or that age group. But because it's not a in a concert set situation. It's just whatever it is, and you just do your thing, and it's sort of a one way thing. But for for these, it's different. Yeah, and group sizes are very like you know they're anywhere from. I've done groups of like 
10 people and it's kind of depressing, Mm. but it might be a tiny little community or I've done groups of like three, 400 and it really depends on the library. It depends on the area where you are and it depends on what the librarians do in terms of marketing. And what I've noticed in the last couple of years is everybody's overwhelmed, everyone, and librarians especially because they're just trying to get people in their doors to use the library. And now that everything's digitized, I mean, I can check out books online and it's so, I love it because I'm in two book groups, so I don't have to go to the library and try to find parking. And it's... As urban centers get more and more densely packed, it's harder and harder to find parking. And the last thing you want to do is have a stroller and a baby in your arms and another kid who's four or five crying, trying to find parking and walking for blocks to get to a library. Mm -hmm. So there's things to think about when it comes to that. Um, One of the things that I've loved are these rural areas where they're building beautiful new libraries or in the suburbs and they have huge parking garage parking areas and they're connected with like uh community centers so there's tons and tons of people and tons of tons of of people in the audience usually so Mm. that's good Um, yeah and when you i have i have great sympathy for libraries because i want them to exist i want them to succeed yes and you touched something earlier, which is they don't really have that much of a budget. So it's the times that I have played, I, you know, it's drive 45 minutes basically to get to this rural library branch because they want music time for their kids, They're like, you know, five to six at night. And, but they don't have, you know, but like $50 to pay. Right. And for me, you know, I have a four piece band. That's kind of asking a lot of the group to be like, well, you're going to burn up whatever you earn in gas just to get there. And then we're all going to make 12 bucks. And that's, you know, it's kind of a tough sell. It's a tough sell. And so most of my gigs in libraries are solo gigs. And I I do that. And, you know, you could certainly do that too. Yeah. Um, Then what happens oftentimes is a library system will come in and book you for, you know, eight, eight or 10 or 12 shows which is great. And then oftentimes they'll have you do their kickoff, which is a bigger show that does involve your band mm-hmm. and does pay more. I mean, I don't do any gigs for under, I mean, I'm not going to tell you what I charge, but I don't charge. I do not do gigs for under um, two fifty, mm-hmm. even as a solo artist. I, I mean, I've just been doing it too long and I, I I'm, I'm good. And, and people, should charge more for what they do, in my opinion. It's and, a whole other podcast episode that I want to get into, and and I people are very yeah. sensitive. Artists are very sensitive about saying, uh, talking at all about real numbers as far as what they charge for gigs. Totally. And also, I think for newer people getting into it, the whole process of negotiating your worth with venues is very challenging, very it upsetting, is. because it someone is. comes to you from the Ronald McDonald House. And they paint right. this like we have this most wonderful thing, and oh, it would be so good. And we have three hundred dollars, right? And you need to play for two hours outside. Bring your own PA, and we expect a full performance from you. Yes, yes, yes. 
So I think there's give and take, and that is a different podcast, and I won't get into that. But yeah. and it also depends on where you are. Like in New York is a whole different deal. And I used to perform in every library in New York, all over New York, and talk about difficult because a lot of them don't even have elevators or ramps. Ooh. You know, it's just and you you have to rely on public transportation to get around, and it's expensive and it's hard to haul your stuff. But it's a great place to hone your skills if you're a newcomer. I, mm-hmm. I highly recommend it because you can bounce off material in a library group new songs included and see how it translates see how see how the audience does you can i mean that's how i really got my start was was little libraries and children's hospitals because mm-hmm. i knew if my work was accepted in a hospital with a really sick kid that it would that i could you know bump it up and beef it up in a in a in a room with well kids and it would work so those are important. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I kind of feel like we're bouncing all over the place in this oh, conversation, which I'm is so fun. sorry. No, 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 it's me. It's my job to keep us on task, and I'm just like I'm just like I like talking to you. So, but <laughs> let's stop back for a second, and let's uh, let's go through this from a linear perspective. Say uh, that you're you you don't you 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 just picked up the guitar. You've you have forty five minutes worth of material, and you live in a place that has a nice library system around you. So let's walk through it. Like how you, if you were going to mentor somebody who was just doing this, then let's walk through the steps of, of maybe how do you contact the libraries to set up gigs? What, what, they, what are best practices for that? How you go about negotiating pay? We've already kind of talked a little bit about that, but maybe we can just sort of talk about things like background checks or insurance that you might have to carry that's special for these things. And then just sort of walk through the whole process as far as even when it's done. And maybe like, how do you market with and for libraries? So let's, let's pretend that we're an artist and we're doing a, a week in the life of a performer who's going to jump into the library gigs. So (laughs) where, so if you have your, your music ready, your 45 minutes, where do you start as far as reaching out? Well, in the first place you have to decide what what libraries you're going to market to because some of them are in a system like for instance in Colorado or in Portland or in California there are specific systems that book in different branches within that uh, county for instance mm-hmm. and so you would you would write the library you would find out who in that county if there is like one library that books in that county And then you would find out, you would decide whether they do work all year long in libraries or do they just do summer reading. Summer reading is a pretty limited time. It's usually June, uh, early June through early August, sometimes mid-August. And, you know, generally libraries have their little days where they have performers come in. And so it's kind of hard to do block bookings because you don't want to really have to go to an area and hang out for Monday and then drive 50 miles to another county. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it needs to be kind of condensed somehow to make the most bang for your buck. But I would find out what, if they're focusing on the summer reading theme, and then I would do a one sheet, like with some visuals of you as a performer, your picture, a quick bio, and a synopsis 
of how your songs might connect or what your work, how your work would connect with that specific theme. Mm. So every summer, the National Library um, Association, the American Library Association, establishes a summer reading theme. I would say in my experience, 50 to 60% of libraries ascribe to that theme. The other do not. So it's important for a performer to know whether they do or not to see if your work will fit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I would do an email blast to libraries. Um, it's better if you can make the call and take the time to find out who's in charge. And that's where it's so frustrating if you have to call individual libraries. It's so much easier if there's one person who's booking 20 libraries or 10 libraries. Um, and that's what you should try to find is that kind of a person. Oh, sure. Books. That one gatekeeper will totally yes. make it so much easier. Yes. But it, if you spend the time and do the work, you're apt to get more gigs and they'll go, oh, well, if you're coming to my area, why don't I give you to this library? So I would suggest that's number one. Also, libraries usually have a listserv. And I don't know, in Colorado, there's a listserv that I just found out I've I've been on. I never put myself on it, but I had to check and my prices are like 10 years old. So I just went on it and corrected my prices and um, my bio. I just didn't know I was on the listserv. But now that I do know I am, (laughs) that's an important place for people to try to be listed. Sure. Um, Our library system in Colorado, as others, do a showcase, and our library does it every other year. And it's like a, it's not really a showcase where you perform, but it, at least, there are those two. But in many cases, it's just an exchange of information. And you can go and they'll give you a free table and you can have your you know, sample CDs, sample work, et cetera. And I've gotten quite a few gigs that way. Um, So I would recommend that, you know, people find out if there's a statewide listserv where you could list yourself as a performer. Mm. About 10, about eight years ago, I did, I, I coordinated a showcase for, libraries. Mm -hmm. And it was really well attended. And we did, each person got a 10 minute slot and there were 10 acts and everybody got booked. And it was really wonderful. Holy cow. Um, Somebody tried, we did it in a theater at a library. It was a beautiful venue. Um, We had a lunch hour, we had coffee and, you know, cookies or whatever, snacks. But It was a great way for libraries to come together, see what people had to offer, and then just book their whole summer. And then we did it. I didn't do it, but somebody picked up where I did it the next year, and hardly anybody came. And I don't know what whether it's that libraries are inundated with people. I mean, usually... They, they're trying to go for the bigger shows now. They're trying to go for the live animals and the, the raptors and the, I'm trying to think, 
flashy stuff. Mm-hmm. They're going for that because it seems like there's a trend right now for kids to want that. I don't know whether that's true. I think there's going to be a different trend too coming mm-hmm. up down the hatch where the listening, quiet, focused time is good. So, Do you think that those offer maybe a little bit more hands-on and that's sort of the, the shift? I know there are some performers who roll in with like 30... Uh, ukuleles, and that's right. that's their gig, or a drum circle type thing where they try and focus in more of a physical interaction because the perception is that if it's music, sometimes it's just one way and they don't realize that we actually strive as performers to write interactive songs that right. are engaging throughout. I think those that's true, that when there's true learning involved, and there's an opportunity for kids to drum or kids to play ukulele or um, make a maraca. I've done I've done a lot of pairings of a show with a workshop in libraries, and it's definitely a hall and tiring, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a way to get uh, to get more work. So when you get to that point that you're on the listserv or you've, that idea of the showcase sounds like fantastic. I think from what I read, there was something like one main branch in Denver and then 25 branch locations. So there's a lot of little venues. I mean, a lot of, not little, a lot of venues just within the city proper where you are, as far as the libraries go. I know. I just did a download of all the libraries in the Colorado area and there's hundreds really. Yeah. Holy cow. And... Some of them literally are in a, a in a high school tiny. They they share their library with high school library, or um, some of them are in literally a trailer mm-hmm. or a bookmobile. So I definitely go to where some of the larger areas are um, in a, in an estate. So after you go ahead and find a way in. You have that one sheeter, which sounds, which is totally cool. And you've emailed that and you're following up with phone conversations, trying to get on the radar. And they finally say, yes, will you, I know when I was in in Pittsburgh and was looking to play out there, they were looking for things like uh, background checks. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's pretty, pretty common where you are? Well, it hasn't been for me. I, I, I have been fingerprinted because I basically am involved in, uh, do a lot of work in schools as well through an organization here called Think360 Arts, and they require it. So I have that already in place. Plus, I, I do think I kind of get it. Um, people are really paranoid anymore, and kids get abducted in parking lots, and it's... um. It's scary times out there. It's really different from what it was even 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've noticed that a lot of libraries, because they're public institutions, get a ton of homeless people. And a lot of homeless people are scary. They're, you know, I don't mean to, you know, uh, pigeonhole anybody in that horrible situation, but, you know, many of them really have a lot of disabilities in terms of just mental. Uh, stuff and so they're always really cautious about background checks and luckily unknown so I can't speak to that but I do I don't think it's a bad thing and it's not a big deal to get fingerprinted and I think it lasts for five or ten years mm-hmm. and um, 
I would just have that done and then also get really good insurance. And the best insurance policy I know for performers is specialty insurance. Um, they offer a really good rate um, and it's liability. And if you're doing a big venue, they'll send you a certificate. Boom, done. You're there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's important to have in place just as, as to just carry with you, you know, and, and I think if you could just put that on your little one sheet to, to libraries, like, yeah, I have background check and here my, if you need fingerprinting um, certification or insurance certification, here it is. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a great thing. I think it's, I think it ups your pro game and that's important. I mean, it's, we're professionals and we have to reflect that. Oh, absolutely. I know when I was um, in Pittsburgh and I was going to do a children's museum out there, the background check, it was really extensive. It was like you needed to have two sort of professional references from the area. It was a local police check and also a federal FBI check and mm. fingerprinting. And, and I think it was like 35 or $50 for the registration. And, and as I started to put that all together, it seemed kind of daunting. And it's like, well, boy, I don't even know if I'm going to get this gig. And so I, I didn't, but, but now I think it's, I think it's probably something I'm going to go through. Cause like you say, just in general, I, boy, it can't hurt. And it only makes you look better relative to maybe some, you know, raptor group or, you know, animal wonders group, which nothing against them, but we are all kind of competing for some of that space. And if you're, if you're a little bit more professional forward facing, it can't hurt. I think it, I think it's true. I, you're right. It's, I think the main thing for all of us anymore, it's like, wow, it's just, we're just putting out this outpouring of resources of money. And we're not as, as able as we were to get paid fairly for our work because it's just available out there for free. And I've been such a proponent of trying to get, um, you know, I work really extensively with NARIS and with uh, Nashville songwriters to try to get things changed on Capitol Hill. And it's, there's so much pressure from around and it's really difficult. And I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is, but I really feel like we should A, be getting paid more fairly for our work. And we can't get that unless we're really, really professional. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. have to be, yeah. uh, you know, whether it includes also a really nice, quick thank you. I think thank you notes go forever. I think, you know, people don't do that. Oh, absolutely. There's the, the, it was one of the more fun investments that we made was just getting a box of thank you cards with our band logo on it. Perfect. And after, after every gig and at the beginning of each year when I'm putting together the thing, just send it out because yeah. they're cheap. And if they get you, you know, if they get you that, that goodwill, then that's one thing. And the other big thing that I, I try and stress without being too, you know, harpy preachy on it is don't play for free. You know, we kind of have to stick together in this. Don't play for free. Right. Try, try and get the value of your time out of it and the value of your fellow performer out of it because, yeah. you know. Because the guys who were showing up at the event selling, you know, hot dogs, they aren't selling. They aren't just giving their product away. They're and nobody expects them to. 
And yet, for some reason, the musicians show up. It's like, oh, but this is such good exposure. It'll just be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you love it? Yeah, here we're all dying of exposure out here. I know. Uh, The hypothermia on my soul and bank account. I can tell that to my my accountant. Okay, so once you get the gig and they say, yes, you've got your background check taken care of and you've got your insurance, then marketing. That was something that you mentioned earlier. And that's the challenge that libraries have marketing. How do you help them market so that you know that you might get a better turnout? Well, I used to send posters. Mm. You know, I send a poster before every gig. And um, now they don't want the posters because there's no place to put them usually. Mm. Um, I still will offer to do that, but I do offer rather than just sending blanket a blanket deal. Mm-hmm. I will, if I know I'm going into a certain area, I'll do lots of social networking around that area and also pump up the gig that way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll ask if they, they will never do it. If they have an email list oh. and I've only gotten that once, hmm. but it was a rural area and it would really surprise me. And I, I just sent out a quick little email blast to uh, all the people that they had given me, which was probably 120 oh. tiny little area. And I think a lot of them came because of that. But I, I don't think that's something that they do very often. Yeah. Um, Marketing-wise, I don't do much anymore, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth. It's just, it's like too much work for too little money. Right. <laughs> so I just basically go and do my gig and thank them and do the best I can and done. Yeah. From a uh, professional standpoint, do you present them with a formal invoice at every gig? Uh, I usually have a letter of agreement, either from them or from me. I think that's really important, another thing to do as a pro. Uh, usually they ask for W-2 or, or is it W-9, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And no, I don't get an invoice. What Libraries used to just know from my contract that I wanted to be paid at the end of my show. Mm-hmm. Now, because of their own budgets and the way that they're factoring, and at least this is what I'm experiencing in Denver County, which I've just done one this year, um, they have a new rule where they're going to be paying every two, every at the first the first of the month within the two weeks of that month. So obviously, they're they're working around their own budgets, mm. and I don't care. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me. It used to. It, I mean you're going to get paid, you're going to get paid, right? But yeah. to count on it, I don't know if you should count, be able to count on it right when you're done with your gig like we used to be able to. Mm-hmm. Do they ever allow you to sell merch of any kind when you're like All of them, all of them. They let you, really? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And I always ask, I always ask, and I always make sure that they know I'm not going to do a big sales pitch. And sometimes... Well, I guess the experiences I've had where it's an actual theater venue, a, you know, a bigger venue, I, they usually have someone who will sell it for me, or, but there's paperwork involved and they take a percentage. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that true for you? Um, yes. Well, there's certain like um, downtown, uh, the Association of Downtown here will sometimes have events like that where they are very tight about who who sells it and how and sometimes yeah they take a commission but they'll have the booth so it's like more visible right so. yeah so no i don't present with an invoice because 
but I could if you hadn't been paid and, and they're not clear that they owe you the money. I would definitely do that. And hey, it just adds to your professionalism. Here, I did my show. Here's your invoice. Here's my W-9. Thank you very much. Contractually, uh, when I do, when I send a, a contract, and I almost, I, I'm kind of, I'm looser about it. I'm not as professional as it should be. If it's a smaller, low paying gig, I likely am, I'm less likely to send that contract ahead of time mm-hmm. to have it signed. Mm-hmm. But in there, I try and put all of the details, including if I get sick and can't show up, if there was a deposit or anything like that, um, I just say, okay, well, I'm not going to charge you if I if I have to cancel the gig because of me. Because of me. Because of me. If they cancel the gig, I usually ask for 50%. Um, yes, I think that's perfect. Would you Do you put that sort of language in your agreements yes. with, with libraries as well? Yes. Yeah. I think it's important. Well, yeah. And again, it's even though you're trying to do the right thing for the good people and the good cause, it's still a business transaction. Exactly. And it's your business. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> mhm. So, all right, so now so far as as we're as we're telling the story here, our <laughs> our hero, young uh six-string Robert, whatever, uh <laughs> has has got the gig. He had them sign the contract. It's all good. He's passed the background check. He has his 45 minutes of music and he shows up the day of the show. His gig is from let's say he's doing a morning, a Tuesday morning music hour for 45 minutes and uh, it's, his gig is supposed to start at 10 o'clock if it was you what would you do well first of all in i would make sure that i communicated prior to or that they communicated with me to know a where to unload because if you're in a parking lot and you have to walk with a, a rolling cart with all your sound equipment etc it's going to change the time you get there mm-hmm. so basically i find out where to park and where sometimes they don't tell me anything. So I park and then I go in with my guitar and my purse, meet the person, say, hi, I'm here. Where would you like me? And I always allow an hour. I know that sounds insane, but I always get there an hour early. It's Mm -hmm. just, you never know what's going to happen. And that's how long it takes me to set up my props, my sound system, do a sound check. Because they're going to load people into that room probably 15 minutes before your show. So if you're, if your gig's at 10 and you get there at nine, you really got 45 minutes to unload, put everything up, set everything up, meet your person, get your sound check. And before they start getting people in. So that's me. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. I like great. it. Yeah. It makes me feel the space. I, you know, can arrange it. Sometimes it's like uh, desks set up. I don't want desks set up. I want an open space where the kids can move and rock and, you know, have a great time. Mm-hmm. I usually do, usually it's a floor and I usually do a taped line that kids don't cross because a couple times I haven't. And I find that a lot of times in communities where there aren't good parenting skills, that kids are running wild. Mm-hmm. And it's dangerous for my stuff, and it's dangerous for them, and they can trip, and they can rip out, uh, rip. You know, one kid one time. This was a stage deal, but a kid got up on stage and ran across the stage, tripped on my guitar cord, and knocked my guitar down and smashed it. Oh! <laughs> and I, you know, just 
it just happened so quickly. And I was in the middle of a, a different song and I didn't, I literally didn't see him. <laughs> so stuff like that. I think a tape line is good. Is the, and that kid is still selling lemonade. For 25 it. cents a cup to pay for that Gibson. <laughs> and, and damn it, he's going to buy that Gibson. Okay, sorry. I talked to Val Smolkin about uh, that uh-huh. too, about being a ventriloquist. And, and, that, and she's like, yeah, painter's tape. That was yes. the thing. Because I was like, how do you keep kids when you're sitting on a little plastic chair from coming over and wanting to play? And she's like, blue painter's tape. And I just tell yeah. them ahead of time, this line, nobody crosses and nobody yep. does. It's like yep. magic. It's like, oh, okay. The other thing I like is I like being introduced. A lot of times I'll get to a library and they'll say, do you want to be introduced? And I always say yes. Mm-hmm. I think it, it A, gives you more, um, it, it builds respect between you and your listeners. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it's just, Hi, I'm Catherine Dines. I'm going to play some songs for you. And I have it printed out what they should say. I encourage them not to read it because otherwise it sounds like, and this is Catherine Dines. How do you say your name? (laughs) Can (laughs) I play Kathy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's really short, but I think it's important that they know from somebody else that I'm an award-winning songwriter. I've performed all over the world, that XM uh, Satellite Radio plays my stuff, that, you know, I'm not just a Joe Blow from the street. Now, they can still think that, and they probably will, and I don't really care, but I think it's important to be introduced. Inter- the introduction thing sounds important, and it's, it is. It's one of those funny little things. Whenever we play, whenever I have the opportunity to get somebody who the crowd knows to introduce us, I always push for it, too. Yep. Partially because it's part of the show. Part of the show is being able to kind of have that. I think the crowd does. The crowd respects you more if you come on and just begin your presentation, as opposed to coming on and kind of like, "Hi, how are you?" I mean, it takes a little bit then to get into it, and it changes the dynamic it between totally does. the performer and the, and the audience. Totally. What sort of gear do you use, by the way? If it's just you and you're going to go into a room, uh, say a 20 by 60 room, and you, what what would you normally take? To, I always take my sound system. It's, you know, it's it can hold. I know it sounds crazy, but I have a soft voice. And again, I think it makes me sound better and looks more professional. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, I've got the one... Um, I just bought this, so I don't know the name of it. <laughs> I had a Passport Junior for years, sure, and I just sold it, and it was great because it could hold a gym, a small gym gig for like two, 300 people. Mm. And now I have a um, – I'll, I'll have to look it up, Andy. No, that's so, fine. No, the Passport, that's people who are familiar. I mean, it's smaller than like the Bose style. It's that's kind what of, I have. I have a Bose. Oh, do you have a Bose now? Okay, yeah. cool. And that's Love really it. cool. It's got the single tower, usually plugs into a yes. subwoofer. It's great. Does it, it's, um, do you do wireless mic, like headset? I do a wireless headset and I'm about to embark on wireless guitar too, just because I love to move and I roam around a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when I'm doing these solo shows, a lot of my stuff is so movement oriented that I do a lot of r- recorded tracks because I'm using my whole body and I can't play a guitar and show mm-hmm. the kids what to do. So I do a combination of solo guitar, pre-recorded tracks, 
lots of instruments, lots of kids up and down, weird props and moving. Mm. That's me. Oh, cool. I had a great chat with Andy Z about the wireless gear that he uses. Uh-huh. And he he talked specifically about getting a set that uh, is compatible with both the guitar and the uh, the mic, basically. And uh, a rechargeable battery thing. So he's basically, he just, he doesn't have to worry about anything when he shows up as far as what the venue will have. Because you never know, like the, the kind of power setup that these places, you hope that they have something robust, but it never hurts to, if you're really worried about it, and I get kind of paranoid, I, I always like to go scope a venue before I play. Right, right, right. When you uh, you get there you, with your gig, you mentioned something that I, that I think is also a key component of this, which is the ramping up and the ramping down of the kids. As far as the heartbeat of the crowd uh, and the engagement, how do you go about building your set list around managing the the kids and not handing off kids at the end of your set that are whacked like out of control excited i always do kind of a warm-up song and i always i think a lot of that question comes from experience so since i've been doing this for 25 years (laughs) which is kind of scary (laughs) (laughs) what i love is reading an audience and i can do it so easily now but it took a long time of kind of getting to understand that especially with with kids and families and people in general, they like to kind of settle in. So I do kind of a warm up settling in tune. Mm-hmm. And then I do lots of different songs. I do like, I'll work it, I'll kind of build it up a little bit, then do a real rocky, rolly movement one, and then take it down to a more listening song. Now, sometimes that doesn't work, sometimes they're really riled up. So I might keep it up there for a couple of songs and then drop it back down to um, when they're tired. And you can kind of read when they're tired. They've been tired of hopping mm-hmm. and bopping, and they just want to sit. So I'm about every uh, five or ten minutes, I get them up mm. and then get them back down. Mm-hmm. That's me. That's how I do it. And then at the end of the show, uh, before I leave, I always do a pretty up rocking one and then a very quiet uh chill one where i would end the concert and so, oh, i do you my end, thank you end on the chill on the chill end on the chill yeah and i do uh not always but generally and then um do lots of thanks before the chill song in mm-hmm. my little my, my little spiel about buying product which is I'm terrible at it. I hate it. Oh, and that's unfortunate that you said that because I'm totally going to ask you, what is your (laughs) shtick? Like, how do you go about doing that? Because again, that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for me to ask people to give me something that I want, which is money. It is. (laughs) Anymore, I will say, uh, you know, while I'm playing my set, every now and then I will throw in, and this is from my second CD, Mm -hmm. or I wrote this and it's on my third CD and it won a da 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 da. But it's really short. It's not. Basically, I hate hyping myself up. <laughs> and that's. Yeah. I just really don't. The my shtick is, hey, um, if any of you are looking for a great summer uh, music to put in the car when you're traveling or going on vacation or going to summer camp or having sleepovers, I have twelve CDs for kids of all ages 
That's basically what I say. Something like that. Mm -hmm. So please come visit me. I'd love to meet you. I think that kind of sometimes gets people. Mm -hmm. And what I notice in libraries is because the concerts are free, they don't come with money. Right. So oftentimes they do, and I'll get my best fan ever, and they'll buy every CD I have. Hmm. Or come up to me and say, oh, I love your music. I followed you for years. I've worn this one out. You know what I mean? So it just depends. But by and large, generally speaking, people who are coming to a free library concert with their kids might not have money. Or they're a caregiver who yep. doesn't necessarily yes. isn't necessarily have the yes. um, freedom, the resources, and, or the uh, permission to do that yeah. sort of to make that sort of a decision for on right. behalf of the the client. Do you uh, use any puppets or any other props? I have a ton of props. I have instruments from around the world that I use. I have um, encouraged kids to come up and play them during specific songs. I have. Um, an alien costume that I use for a story song. Ooh. I have snake puppets. I have um, my grandma's pup thing when I do the hunk to bunk to thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I use props. I like props. And I think it's instead of a video screen, I've chosen that. Mm. And part of me thinks, well, video's pretty much where the world is going, but I'm probably not going to go there. I, do you mean like a video screen during your presentation, during, uh-huh. the, during the act? Uh-huh. Boy, that just seems like another expense. <laughs> well, and I, I just feel like these kids, this is what I hear from, from what I consider intelligent, literate parents. They're concerned. They're concerned about overstimulation. And they're all, the kids are overstimulated. Mm-hmm. They... In, in many ways, I'll hear parents just go, God, I just wish I could get some downtime. That's why we love these story times so much. Because the, the, re- the librarian is reading them a story. And boy, I've noticed when I do a story song or tell a story, those kids are like, boom, they are right there. Mm-hmm. Now they're used to it, right? Whereas maybe urban kids who don't really have that attentive thing with their parents and both parents are working and they're exhausted and they come home and they just want to go to bed and have dinner and go to bed. Maybe they don't have that in their lives. But for me to build that as a performer, that's been one of my shticks is trying to get kids to listen and attend and focus. That's how you build audience mm-hmm. and listening skills. That's a, that's a whole other conversation where, it, it has to be taught, and it's not being taught. We are living in a soundbite era, it feels, yeah. and yeah. that makes it very challenging to mm-hmm. appreciate the scope and range of our language, because mm-hmm. it's sort of like emojis, you know? And yes. I, I use it all the time when I'm texting my wife, or you know, it's like, oh, you know, you can have an entire, quote, air quote, conversation using emojis, that don't really say anything, but kind of, you know, kind of hint at. And so I'm a very strong, I tell stories in my, a lot of my music too. And, you know, it's challenging because I, because I want people to listen. I want people to get it. And eh, 
Do they? I don't know. Sometimes. The strange thing is, is that when some people do and they come up to me and they've, they have been an attentive listener and they do know the story and they like it and they appreciate it, it's like, oh, so worthy. I think that maybe in a quieter setting with an acoustic guitar and a smaller setup that I might have a better opportunity to get that story across. Do you feel that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. When you wrap up the gig then and you've uh, you've sold some CDs to some cool kids and they've appreciated it and your wrap-up time and they're all leaving and they're going away, is there anything that you do then from the professional standpoint to uh, to wrap up the gig and get out? Like, what are some of the better practices when it comes to the end of that library show? I usually, I just, I for sure don't ask for help. I mean, unless, I, I sometimes if they offer, I'd say I'd love some help going to my car. I just basically thank the library and the friends of the library who's ever paid for my show mm-hmm. and all the parents for coming, all the kids for bringing their parents, all the grandparents, caregivers, etc., um, and then I, I thank the library and tell them after I'm packed up, I usually say goodbye, say, I'd love to come back. You have a great library here. Please pass my word on, pass the word on if you enjoyed it. Um, that's it. Mm. So I'm, I, I was just thinking about, as you were saying that, and so I'm going to step back one more quick time when you're doing the merch call, basically, or you're telling people to buy your stuff. Do you mm-hmm. find it kind of a weird conflict that you could say, you can go upstairs and check out my CD from the library or borrow it as opposed to purchasing it? Uh, sometimes I will add that in. I'll say, I think this library has my CDs for you to check out. But if you'd like to take one home and own it, I would mm-hmm. love you to do that. And then the other thing is, do you ever prompt any other gigs that you have coming up? Yes. Okay. Of course I will. But usually not because it goes in one ear and one out the other. Now, if I have a big gig coming up, I'll sometimes have a flyer and pass that out. Ooh, that's cool. You know, just so they remember. Mm -hmm. And I used to have little swag stuff like stickers. I had T-shirts. I had pencils and erasers for a while. But it's like, mm, I just, simpler is better, Mm -hmm. I feel like. From a marketing standpoint, we have stickers that we hand out to every kid who wants it, and I'll tell that during the during the show. Hey, when you're you know, be sure to swing by and get your free sticker. And it's just mm-hmm. you know, it's just the logo with a website. Because nice. if nothing else, it's like, well, this might be a way for somebody who might book us in a future gig has a way of remembering us. Do you put a right. sign? Up, do you put a sign up behind you? Do you bring like a a poster or one of those banners, the pop up banner things behind you? Yeah, I have a pop up banner. I put it with my merch. Oh, okay. And um, usually parents go over to that table and look at stuff anyway. And then I have my, I have some flyers that talk about how to hire me and my website. I have my business cards right there. And I, I usually just try to pop over there after the show is over and be around and available for people to say, hey, I liked it or thank you or Please sell me all your CDs. My favorite thing. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, that's funny, though. That's one of the things that it took about four or five years for me to learn was so important. The minute the show ends, the place for me to be with my, you know, my big yes. cowboy hat and everything, right at the merch table, right? And yes. tell people, I'm going to be over there. Come and meet me. because Right, because they was, try to stop you and talk to you, right? Right. And I was always, and the other side was, I, I was always prone to being like, where's the green room? Like, I'm done. I'm going to get off stage and whew, that's done. And I walk away and everybody else walks away too. 
right. as opposed to I was playing a it was a it was kind of a big venue. It was kind of a big event. It was one of our first big shows. And I totally missed it. I totally blew it. And I only realized that it was important when the band that played after us, I was walking through the crowd and I saw them literally like put down their guitars, walk down the steps, through the crowd, just waving and smiling, right to the merch table, and that's where they stopped. And everybody mm. followed them over there. It was like, oh, I should do that. <laughs> Have you ever had a really bad library gig that you wish you could redo or that you could fix, like a lesson learned? So uh, it, was a, it was a library with, it was in Portland, actually. And it was just one of those out-of-control days mm. where there were just, there were a lot of, like four-year-olds and you have, you know, how four-year-olds, like they start one, one little four-year-old gets going on some tangent and then all of a sudden they all join in mm -hmm. and then they're all holding hands and running through the space and the parents are in the back kind of chit-chatting away and they're not really attending and you can say what you want. You can say parent patrol hello, trying to perform, very difficult, please come get your kids or <laughs> however mm -hmm. you do it. And it just, nothing seemed to be working. And I think some days, I, I don't know what I would have done to fix it. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I guess I could have stopped the show in retrospect and maybe said, hey, you know what? I'm having a hard time performing because a lot of people are trying to listen and are having a difficult time. So I'm going to suggest that the people that are racing around maybe go out and race around in another part of the library or something. You know, I, I guess I could have done that. But part of me thought, that's really not my due. That's the librarian or the parent. Mm -hmm. So it always makes me feel a little weird about doing it because I'm like an independent contractor. Right, right. So I kind of let it go, and I had I, that's really the only bad gig I can really remember, and I don't know what I would have done to fix it. Boy, that's really hard to tell, too. I, I understand that, walking the line between trying to, because part of it's managing parents mm -hmm. who don't manage their kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to insult anybody. I certainly don't want to make any kids feel bad because mm -hmm. they're having a good time or they're getting excited, but I don't want them to get hurt either. And, mm -hmm. or just, or like in your case, you know, destroy a, an instrument. So, right. boy, man, maybe it's a conversation to have with a librarian before, but if you have to have it at every gig, every time, like, hey, if the kids get kind of crazy, I'm going to say, why don't we take a uh, pause? And that's your cue to come in and, I don't know, what? Right, Taser right. a bunch of kids? No, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Put them on a bookshelf, wrap them up. Taser a bunch of parents. That's the problem, mm, right? It yeah. is, it is. Yeah, boy, yeah. That'd be a good uh, podcast to get a librarian. Yeah, that would Maybe. be. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, just to hear from their side what their expectations are. Absolutely. Right. Hey, what is the one song that everybody loves that you play when you do a library show? Because I'd like to spin that one right now. Oh, well, if, it, if it's a specific library show, it must be read a book. Down in Okavango, there's a muddy old swamp Where the crocodiles are hungry and they're ready to chomp You paddle by quick in a tippy canoe and it flips Oh, no! What do you do? Turn to page two 
Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. You can travel and explore. Open any door. Read a book. Read a book. Up on Tutalik, where it's sixty below. You're an Eskimo explorer, stranded in snow. The blizzard sets in. You'll be buried alive. Hurry up and get to chapter five. Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. You can travel and explore. Open any door. Read a book. Read a book. Books are fun when you're by yourself. You don't do much up on a shelf. People and places come alive. All you have to do is look inside and read a book. Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. You can travel and explore. Open any door. Read a book. Read a book. In outer space, there's a galaxy, and aliens invading planet X Y Z. You're flying in a starship to save your friends. To see who wins, you gotta get to the end. Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. You can travel and explore. Open any door. Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. It's such a magnificent holiday album, by the way. I've been listening oh, to tracks of it, and I was I was so surprised by it. Your approach, well, your approach to it was was really not the same as many other um, children, family musicians. And I loved the little the chime thing between each song, and the, <laughs> and the the spoken word intro. It was just it was thoughtful in a different way. Oh, that gave thanks. it legs. It gave it legs that I think because I do. Every album I try and put some Christmas or holiday or actually I it's not a I well I did a pirate cowboy or a pirate Santa song. Oh, you did. Uh huh. I don't think I heard that. That sounds awesome. That was off uh, our last album, Bubbles, and off the album from this year. I did one just called Snow, which is just a you know just a celebration of snow, looking out the window with the first snow and getting excited and that sort of thing. Nice. I kind of pull punches when it comes to faith and religion and talking about those things. I sort of avoid them in my music. Yeah. And you were, but you were just very educational about it, just very straightforward. Like, well, this is this thing, and this is how it's done. And I have friends who do this, so I appreciate. Well, that. oh, I really appreciate your feedback. It it was such. Oh, that was a really long album to do. I couldn't figure. I wrote it like four different ways. Mm. And I just couldn't figure out how to do it. And I really wanted to go around the world and get global musicians to play on each song from each culture. And that just, that was way too big. And then I wrote it from the standpoint, the voice of an alien mm. returning to earth and trying to do like a historical thing. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was a fun album to do it. It's kind of a weird album because it does have the spoken word and the songs, but oh well. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Now I can go on to the next one. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so is the next one going to probably just be more uh, traditional, just pop into the song, you know, do a two or three um, minute song and then jump out? Or are you going to keep going down the spoken word path or where do you think it's going to land? I think it's going to be a country, country one. 
Because <gasps> I really love country music. I lived in Nashville, but it's going to be a combination of new and old and, I think, hunk to bunk to boots. Oh, boy. That is such a great idea. Or hunk to bunk to buckaroo. Haven't, haven't decided yet. Oh, buckaroo. yeah. That would like be really buckaroo. cool. Go along the whole Buck Owens thing. Yeah. You know, because that, that sort of uh, Bakersfield sound would be really fun to incorporate into a couple tunes. If you need any uh, guest uh, telecaster picking on that, give me a call. I'll oh, definitely, you know definitely I will. And so, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with, uh, with us about your, your history, your experience, your wisdom, the... And the tips and tricks. It was so cool. The, the idea that you created this library showcase, it was like, well, of course. I mean, why put it on them to do this when you are probably in a better position to make something like that happen? And, yeah. you know, it's um, it's expensive. It's time-consuming to make a lot of the mistakes to learn the things that you've learned. And so thank you so much for, for sharing that with us and, and kind of helping, a, helping me and listeners shortcut a bit. Well, I had an absolute blast, and I wish you all the best. It's really cool what you're doing, Andy, and it's been a blast getting to know you. Oh, thanks. Okay, so we're going to have to do this hunk to bunk to call one more time. Okay, just to make sure. are you sure? <laughs> yes, yes. I want, you, I want you to do it, and then I'm going to try and do it right afterwards, and, and you, can, you, can, you can tell me how I did, okay? Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Kick to billicky all like a lock, stonk to bunk to boo, you. No, actually, no, I can't do it. I, I got, I, I was really with you. I was like, the kicks to bit. Uh, okay, you got it. Here, I'll do it. I'll do it. You do it slowly. Okay. Kick, kick to billicky. Kick, kick to billicky. Alagaloxta. Alagaloxta. Kick to billicky, alagaloxta. Hunk to bunk to boo. Yoo-hoo. Hunk to bunk to you who? See, hunk I already forgot. Hunk to bunk for- to boo. You got to get the boo in there. Hunk to bunk to boo you? Hunk to bunk to boo you. Catherine, it's it. been so fun having you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where can we find you? Where can we find you so that we can oh, yeah. we can keep track of you? I'm on everywhere. I'm on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, my website is www. Guess what? Hunk to bunk to dot com. Hunk to bunk to dot com. Mm-hmm. And Instagram. So Pinterest. I'm there. Google me, Catherine Dines. K A T H. E-R-I-N-E, Dines, D-I-N-E-S, like Dines at, uh, in Montana at a feedlot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because that's how we do here in Montana. That's how we, you do. That's how we do. <laughs> okay. Well, Catherine, until next time. Oh, any big gigs coming up in 2020? Uh, yeah, let's see. Botanic Gardens. I'm planning, <gasps> a, I'm working on a global tour with my album right now. Um, India possibly and um, I don't know I've just I'm trying to there's a world cancer uh, child cancer organization that I'm working with and hoping to do some concerts with them to support what they do and also lots in hospitals so I'm I'm getting more into the giving back mode okay my friend well it's great talking with you thank you so much and uh, can't wait to hear this Oh, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on Barn Banter. That was so cool. I learned a ton and uh, feel a little bit more confident about approaching libraries now and get that going. So that'll be kind of a fun thing. Actually, I have a few potential library gigs lined up already this summer. 
So it was really timely and important for me to get a feel about maybe, you know, what the expectations are specifically. Okay, all together now. Hunkta. Oh, man. I can't do that. I can't sing uh, I've Been Everywhere by Johnny Cash either. So, you know what? I'm, I'm okay living with my limitations. And that's it. Another episode of Barn Benter by Cowboy Andy. A podcast for kids musicians by a kids musician. I'm working on that one. Let's see. You want to come on the you want to come on the podcast? I I want you to, I want you to come on the podcast. But only if you have something to share with the rest of the class about uh, best practices, uh, things that you've learned, things that you're good at, things that you excel at, ways that you want to help the genre and the industry. Or ooh, what if you have a rant? Yes, if you have a rant, something that really bugs you, something that you really just want to, you know what? You could probably leave me a voicemail and uh, I'll put it on the podcast. You could be like, um, this is, let's see, who's a good person to pick on? I'm going to pick on, um, this is Mike Furman. I, that doesn't sound anything like Mike Furman. This is Mike Furman. And, and I, I get really frustrated with other children's musicians when they, um, Cover my songs and don't give me credit. Like that song, Stairway to Heaven. That was totally mine. See, that's Mike Furman, right? No, that's not. But maybe Mike Furman will come on and then he'll give me what for. <laughs> okay, sorry, Mike. Well, that's it for Barn Band. Oh, here comes the music again. You know what to do. Bye! So think about this. You're playing in a library. They're paying you to be there. And then someone tells you to turn down because you're too loud because you're in the library. And they're all like, shh. And you're like, I got a song just for you. It's called the you shh. I'm not going to shh because people are shh telling me to shh. And I don't want to shh. It's going to be great. It'd be great. Like, and you get all the kids like running up to that person going shh. And, uh, and, that, was, and, that, was the, and that was the last time they asked me back to play at the library. We all like playing games. We all like to be hugged and loved, tucked in our beds at night. Tall or small, boy or girl, 